pray that you decrease Daphne and increase your Holy Spirit, and that the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart, that it might be found acceptable in your sight. God, you are my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Good morning, Marketplace. Good morning. I am so humbled to have the opportunity to share with you. I think I'm the first face you guys have seen since Bishop <laughs> during the pandemic. Um, this morning, we are continuing in on our journey on um, abiding in God, and we are talking about the spirit-filled life. Um, I am thankful for Bishop and Pastor Jay, again, for the opportunity. I want to just give honor to my husband. I'm thankful that my father, the Reverend Dr. Robert E. Vange Jr., <laughs> is here. Thankful for him and my mother, as well as my sister, Minister Desiree Davis my nieces and nephews, so I brought my own amen corner if y'all ain't got nothing to say to me today. Uh, <laughs> um, we've been talking about abiding, and on Wednesday night, Bishop Lyons um, encouraged us to start living a spirit-filled life instead of a flesh-lit life. And so I'm going to push a little bit further as we go into verse 8 of John chapter 15. He's already journeyed through chapters 1 through 7, but today I'm going to look at verse 8. Um, and John 15 verse 8 reads, My father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. And so this morning, the topic that I want to speak on is, but did you die? But did you die? How to live a spirit-filled life. I grew up, as Bishop Lyons will call, good God almighty Baptist. And one of the tenants of the church, and it's funny, my dad is here, didn't know he was going to be here when I started writing this. Um, but one of the tenants of the church and my upbringing was something we call Christian orientation. And this is basically Baptist catechism, okay? So it has all these different tenets, but one of the tenets of our catechism was discipleship. So I grew up understanding my foundation of discipleship is that a disciple is a part is a follower of Christ who studies serves and gives I knew that probably by the age of 10 if I'm saying I'm a disciple I'm a follower of Christ and I study serve and give and he also taught us that there were four areas of discipleship decision denial daily dedication and divine direction okay all of this is my concept of discipleship. I'm saying I follow Christ because of these four things. We had a scripture that we had to memorize, Luke 9:23, And it says, I can quote King James Version. And he said unto them all, if any man shall come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. You can see the four D's right in there. Decision, denial, daily dedication, and divine direction. This is the foundation of my theology of leadership. This is how I live my life. I live my life based on the foundation of discipleship. I'm not just a disciple at church. I'm a disciple at home. I'm a disciple at work. I'm a disciple of my family and friends. And in that, I'm looking at all of those different components. So whenever I say I'm a disciple of Christ, now you kind of understand where I'm coming from. While these principles and while this text has been memorized, the the deeper I've started to dig, the more I've been stretched, 
And the more I've opened myself up to the revelatory power of the Holy Ghost, I've started to realize that, yeah, I can quote these, but I am not really living this at all. So I've obviously made a public decision to be a disciple because I'm up here sweating in this cassock, right? It's a lot of stuff I could have been wearing outside of this. So I've made a public decision to say that I am a disciple. I have decided to follow Jesus. However, I kind of stopped right at step two. When it comes to denial, I will admit to you guys, I have struggled intensely with denial. <laughs> I, I struggle to deny my flesh at times. I struggle to hide myself behind the cross because I want people to see me. I struggle to let God fight my battles. I struggle to let God control my tongue and my thumbs. I struggle to focus on the will of God instead of my five-year goals. I struggle to forgive and I even struggle to receive forgiveness. I struggle to give grace and I struggle to receive grace. I struggle with my call. So I just struggle with denial in general, right? And so what I've learned is while I can quote the four steps because I'm stuck at the second step of discipleship, the other two kind of are in void. Because without denial, my daily dedication is shallow at best. More, most often is misdirected. I've daily dedicated myself to mainstream sugary interpretations of the Bible. I have daily dedicated myself to the easy commandments of God, like don't murder anybody, because I don't really know how to do that, right? I, I daily dedicate myself to anything that makes me feel good, and then I fake ignorance to the things that I don't like. And, and my interpretation of divine direction lately has been a conversation with Bishop or Pastor Jay or my wife, Coach Eba, or some other type of godly counsel. And it normally consists of them pouring out wisdom and me rolling my eyes or arguing against them about what they're saying and how I'm not going to do that. And I don't take it to heart and I'm disobedient. Without denial, our decision is voided. Without denial, <laughs> daily dedication is impossible. And without denial, divine direction, we don't even know what that is. Our text this morning is calling us to a different type of life. So I ask you today, because I'm sure I'm not, I'm not alone, while you've come to church this morning, or while some of you are watching, or any of our platforms, you, you post on Facebook about your decision to follow Jesus. You post the daily verse of the day right? You, you buy Christian t-shirts and Christian hoodies. Some of us even have Christian tattoos in our bodies. But did you die? Let's look at the, let's look at this pericope a tad bit bigger. John 15, 6 through 8. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up and they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so approve, and so prove to be my disciples. John chapter 15 is, this is the last of, seven, of the seven I am's of Jesus. The book of John is really focused on showing the reader that Jesus is the Son of God. So let's look at this in context. So the first six I am's that lead to this one are, John 6, 35, it says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me never thirsts. Then we have John 8 and 12. 
Um, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have light, the light of life. Then we go down to 10 and 19, 10 and 9. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and go on, go in and out and find pasture. 10, 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. 11.25, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And then 14.6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Oneness with the Father. And then we come to today's area of I am the true vine. Why do I share all of this? Jesus is trying to reveal who he is to us. Seven different ways. But in each way, our access to him comes with a little bit of a catch, right? So Jesus says, I am the true vine and we're the branches. But in order for us to bring glory to the Father, in order for us to be a good branch, there are some things we have to do. So John chapter 15, in addition to being the, the last of the seven I am's, is also kind of the end of Jesus's instructions. He's given these instructions to the disciples. Right? So once we get to chapter 18, we see that Jesus is about to be betrayed. So Jesus is starting to tell his disciples what you need to do before I leave, right? This is what you need to do after I leave. So he starts to talk to them saying, you know, you gotta make sure you do this, you have to make sure you do that, and you need to understand who I am if you're gonna eat. We can't say that we're a follower of somebody that we don't understand which is why he progressively reveals who he is. So now we're at the end of that. So Jesus is like, okay, I'm hoping that by now, through every form of metaphor I could possibly phantom to give to you, you understand who I am. Now it's time for you to do your part, okay? Jesus tells the disciples, it's game time. I'm done giving you these little ins and outs. I'm done giving you all little secrets. Now it's time for you to actually be a disciple. You've seen the miracles. You've discovered my identity. Now it's time for you to prove, right? Verse eight, he says, prove to be my disciples. And that word prove is the Greek word ginomai, which means to test or show forth, present, try, or join together. God is not calling us only to show forth the word disciple, but to join together with it. In other words, he's saying, don't just act like a disciple, be a disciple. So, so lest any of you guys misinterpret me saying be a disciple, be does not just mean I got it, right? Be is not just like, that's just who I am. Be is actually demonstrating that in your life. That is just who you are. Be means it's not on the shelf. Be means there's not an on and off switch. Be means you are what you say you are. So I don't want anyone of us walking around saying, yeah, good, because I had discipleship in my heart. God knows my heart. I ain't got to do all that other stuff they keep talking about. As long as I say I'm a disciple and that's just who I am, I'm good. Not necessarily. Because Jesus says, you are my disciple when you bear much fruit. Prove to be my disciples is contracted to it directly. So fruit, what is fruit? Carpos, work, act, deed, um, work, act, or deed, and it, and it comes with this word posterity, okay? Um, posterity. Posterity is legacy. Posterity is 
impacting other generations. So when Jesus is saying bear much fruit, he's saying bear much deeds, but deeds of posterity. He's saying do works that impact other generations. He's saying do work that outlasts your name. Do work that outlasts this time. Do work that goes beyond marketplace. Do work that goes beyond just a Facebook post. Do work that goes beyond the text to them or to, to him or to her. Do work that goes beyond just your household. Do work that lasts. So I'm gonna put this in Daphne's. In order for me to glorify God, which I pray to God no one would dare say they're not trying to do, I must be a disciple who does work that lasts. Okay? <laughs> Discipleship requires that we do the work. In order for me to glorify God, I must be a disciple who does work that lasts because discipleship requires that we do the work. We simply cannot call ourselves disciples without doing the work of the disciple. And many of us are trying to do the work without being a disciple. We're serving communities. We're serving in the church. We're serving household ministries as mothers and fathers and children and wives and husbands. And we don't seem to be making much of an impact and we can't figure out why. We can't figure out why we feel so unfulfilled or why we can't break through or why we don't feel like we're actually operating in anointing. And it's because we're not and we're not bearing fruit. We're doing the deeds, but not the deeds of our Father. I would like to posit that while we are doing the work, we're still being flesh-led. While we're doing the work, we're doing it in our flesh. Yes, you're doing the work, but you're doing it out of guilt or out of obligation or seeking to get attention or praise or trying to prove a point to someone who told you you couldn't do it or you're trying to do it so that you can brag, but you're certainly not doing it to bring glory to the Father. It's sort of like what Jesus tells his disciples. In Matthew chapter 7. Let's go to Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 23. He tells them, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven, will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons? And in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And a lot of us read that today, and we're just like, you better not say that to me because I'm fatigued right now from doing the work. I've been counseling the broken and laying hands on the sick and casting out demons and performing miracles. I've engaged in spiritual warfare through prayer and through worship, and I'm even trying to realign the generation, right? I'm starting to teach the theology the proper way, but did you die? What I mean when I ask this, did you put you out of the way before you made the decision to do it? Did you do it because God told you to do it? Or did you just do it because you're good at it? Did you do it under the power of God? Do it with your flesh crucified, focused on bringing glory to the Father, not distracted by the sin, not distracted by the trends, not distracted by what they're doing over there, not distracted by your own lust, not distracted by your own judgment or thinking something is too beneath you. Did you die? Or did you practice lawlessness in his name? And it's the 21st century, so a lot of times when we read the word lawlessness, we like to dissociate ourselves with that word. Like, 
I've never been to jail, so I'm good, right? We think that if we've done it and no one was shot or stabbed or smothered or there was no drugs involved or nothing got stolen, nobody got fell on, we're good, right? Um, this word lawlessness, however, is the Greek word anomai. And that means iniquity. Y'all know we hear that word all the time here, right? Iniquity. We know from our teachings here in the house that iniquity is the root of sin. I forgot to send Melita my little picture that I like to use. But iniquity is the seed of sin, right? And we know transgression is the tree that leads us to sin, which is the fruit of our iniquity and transgressions, right? Jesus is saying that if we have transgression, if we have iniquity, it voids out our deeds. While we haven't acted on it, just the mere presence of us, takes away from our ability to bear much fruit. The text says, my father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. So I hear you. How do I do it? Because I'm trying to bear much fruit, right? I'm trying to be done with my sin. I'm trying to just do it the way God told me. Good grief, Daphne. But I'm going to ask you again, did you die? Fruit takes roots. Whatever you're rooting in is what you're going to bear. And some of us are either completely unrooted to anything, or we are rooted in our flesh. Bearing fruit that pleases the Father requires roots in the Spirit. It requires roots in the Word. It requires roots in Christian community. And sticking with the theme of the series, I, I have to say that in order to bear, bear much fruit, we have to change our roots from the flesh to the Spirit. A rooting in the spirit, however, it means we gotta kill our selfish roots, okay? So let's go back a couple of chapters. Let's go to chapter 12 of John. John chapter 12, verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Okay. Jesus is foretelling his death in this text, but he's also preparing his disciples for what it really means to follow him once he's gone. In order to honor God, and in order to truly live a life for him of discipleship, we have to die to ourselves. So I want you guys to think about this analogy that Jesus uses. He talks about this single grain, right? Inside of a grain of wheat, there's a germ, right? And I had to kind of go back to my biology roots. A germ is the central reproductive system of a grain, right? So within this little germ, that germ has the ability to reproduce tons of grain, but only after it's milled. In order for this grain to truly reproduce, it can't just sit unbothered, right? It can't just sit whole wherever the farmer found it. In order for that grain, in order for that germ to actually reproduce, it has to fall on the ground alone and essentially die before it's able to reproduce. And some of us see an issue with that already. I haven't even applied it to you. You're just like, nope, that already sounds like something I don't wanna do. Half of us don't wanna be bothered. We wanna just sit in our comfort zones, full of gifts, 
full of anointing, possibility, and power, and just be completely unbothered and wonder why nothing is being done. That shows that you're not rooting in the spirit. You're rooted in your comfort. And some of us, I will acknowledge it, we're rooted in trauma, right? We're rooted in pain. We're rooted in bondage. But even in that, we're still rooted in ourselves. We have to allow the spirit to bother us. And you know what that looks like, the people of God, right? You have to be under somebody that you trust enough to bother you. And I can tell y'all that we are under a bishop who bothers us daily, daily bothers us. But we yield ourselves to the man or woman of God because we trust the spirit in them. As Pastor Brittany says, we trust their Holy Ghost. We trust the spirit in them to bother us and move us out of our comfort zones. Because without coming out of those boxes, without breaking, we can't reproduce. But then some of us don't wanna fall by ourselves. Too many of us have been robbed of our joy, purpose, and potential because we don't wanna do it alone. We have misinterpreted a lack of support or a lack of peers as it not being the will of God. And so we start following God and we're excited and full of passion and we're doing it and doing it and doing it and then eventually we kind of stop and see nobody is around us. And so we immediately think, I must be going the wrong way. If I were going the wrong, if I were going the right way, all of them would be going this way. There's no way God wants me to go, you know, east if everybody else is going west. We've misinterpreted. God often causes us to fall alone. God often calls us to do something no one else has done. I find myself constantly looking for blueprints for what God has told me to do and I can't find one. And I start saying, maybe he didn't ask me to do this because ain't nobody else doing it. He's like, that's why I asked you to do it. We feel like if we're doing it alone, it's not God. But let me tell you that if God tells you to do something, you're never alone. God is with us. And that's why we have the community of the saints. While maybe we're not doing the same exact thing, we are all trying to bring glory to God. And I may not specifically understand your, your specific gifting, but I understand your gifting. I'm gonna be rooting you on, go sis, go. But going back to that first one, if I'm all up here, I don't want nobody to touch me, then you're definitely gonna be doing it alone, okay? The last one is the whole matter of death. So there's just the word death that generally is not attractive to anyone, right? <laughs> um, let me give you a very basic <laughs> and clear example. When I joined Marketplace, I was freshly divorced and back on the market. And I had just purchased me, y'all, a whole new back on the market wardrobe. <laughs> back on, the, I don't know if y'all know what that is, but just find it, okay. Within about three or four months of me joining this church, God started telling me, don't wear that. I said, well, I just bought this. I haven't even, ain't nobody even seen me in this. Can I at least post a picture of it on Facebook real quick? I know, okay, maybe not wear it to church. Maybe not wear it to work. Can I wear it on date night? Once I get a date, God, I'm trying to find my Boaz. And God very specifically told me, don't wear that. And I went through a season of death that I was mad, real mad. I'm talking about mad. Like, how come she get to wear that? So what am I supposed to wear? So I'm just, I'm just supposed to be walking around look like somebody's grandma. I'm 28 years old, God. And I was mad at God and God really killed me. 
And then, when we came into this building, I finally had found my wardrobe. I'm like, this is kind of holy but cute. Okay, cool. Bishop Lyons, for about three months, made us wear Civic to church all through the summer. The whole summer, I had all these maxi dresses, all these sandals. I was so ready. I'm like, I'm about to be stepping out, flexing in this new body. And he said, Civic. Civic, can I like wear a black dress? Cause I might be able to make the maxi dress look nice. Like, <laughs> Civic. So like the collar and the jacket, Civic. And like the pantyhose and the, the ugly shoes, Civic. Oh, okay. <laughs> I had to die to Daphne. And I will admit that my rebellion, cause I had some Sundays that he was like, you know that's not Civic. You, you need to not wear that next Sunday. Um, once I finally got out of my rebellion, God opened doors for me. God opened power in me that I had never even knew I had. I came here feeling like I was kind of at the peak of my ministry. I'm good right here. I'm fine I'm to sing and the praise team sometimes, preach a sermon every once in a while, teach Sunday school, I'm good. But within like two years of me, first of all, getting out of my flesh and my clothes, God really elevated me. And not just here in the church. He started elevating me on my job. He started elevating me in the community. I actually met my husband and I wore some like leggings and an ugly t-shirt on our first date. No makeup, had my hair in an afro. I was like, well, this is just me. Take me as I am. And God actually connected me with what I was trying to find and the stuff that I was doing in my flesh. I had to die. Okay, so I know that's a really earthly example, but what I want you guys to understand is that in order for us to reproduce, it requires separation, consecration, and denial. Separation, consecration, and denial. So the separation is, I have to separate from my own desires. I have to separate from people's expectations of me. I have to separate from what people told me I could do. I have to separate from the standards that I place upon me because of my gender or because of my race or because of my age. I have to separate from all of that. I have to separate from what my trauma has told me I can and cannot do. I have to separate from what my past church hurt told me I could not do. I have to separate from all of that. And I have to separate from the people who keep trying to pull me back there. I have to separate from the people who keep trying to push me into a category I don't belong in. But then I have to consecrate. Consecrate is the whole doing it alone. Consecrate is um, don't do that. Consecrate is don't eat that. Consecrate is don't watch that. And the reason I use that for the analogy of alone is because sometimes God will tell you to do that, but just you to do that. Um, I tagged some of you guys in this video from this um, apostle that we watch a lot on Facebook, and she was talking about how God told her not to do certain things. And every time I watched it, I was like, oh, that's exactly what he does for me. There's certain shows I just can't watch. And then my friends may be watching it, and they're posting it on Facebook. I'm like, but they're a preacher too. How come they get to watch that and I can't? Because I was like, it's some stuff I'm trying to burn out of you that I don't need to burn out of them. They might be mature enough to watch that and not you. They're not going to the level that I'm trying to take you, so don't worry about 
what they can watch. Watch what I told you to watch and don't watch what I told you not to watch. There are certain songs that we can't listen to because God knows what he just brought us through. There's certain songs that I'm, I'm wholly married with a child. And there's songs that I remember playing when I was going through breakups. And when I listen to it, it brings me back. God's like, well, why are you even listening to that in the first place? There's certain songs that take me back into my sins of lust. I'm like, I remember, oh wait, hold on, stay holy. That's not the type of song I need to listen to. There's certain things we cannot eat. God will call us to a fast when there is like a barbecue festival happening that day. And you'll be like, this is the only day they're gonna have these baby back ribs. And I'm fasting, can I just fast from sweets? I won't even have the barbecue sauce. <laughs> can I just have the meat? But God calls us to that consecration. But then the denial, I think I've given you about as clear of an example as I can give you. It's not about us. And it's difficult to do discipleship in this generation because since we was born, we've been told it is. We get certificates and trophies for just showing up. My nephew just got a certificate for going to school. That's what you're supposed to do. You went to school every day. Here's an award. Okay, I, I get it. But these are the people that are gonna be adults 20 years from now, and we tell them you can't do what you wanna do. But I'm used to somebody patting me on my back for going to church. You're supposed to be here. We have to deny our own self, even when the world is saying, you, 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 you. And God is like, Jesus, 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 Jesus. They're like, hmm. Is there like a middle point for this guy? <laughs> but what I can tell you is that when we do deny our flesh, God gives us everything that we want. And he gives us things we didn't even know we wanted. God has blessed me with things. I'm like, I didn't even know that I was really into this type of thing, but thank you, God. And I didn't have to compromise for it. Didn't have to do nothing strange for it. Didn't have to go into debt for it. God just blesses things at my feet when I'm walking in alignment with him. Changing our roots requires separation, consecration, and denial. But we have a mentor. Jesus did this for us already, right? Jesus is the heavenly example of that single grain of wheat falling into the ground and literally dying so that there can be a harvest. Because Jesus died, there was nothing else. There was no one else, no type of animal, not even one that could be created that God could sacrifice to die for our sins so that he could multiply his children but Jesus. Jesus literally did it by himself. He was walking with 12 other men that could have easily been put up on that cross, but none of them were perfect like him. There were millions of people who had been on the earth before God sent his son to the earth, but only that one person could die by himself on the cross. And then he was up there with sinners, going right back to the whole looking to the right and the left. Well, how come ain't nobody else up here on the cross that didn't sin? These are both sinners. I don't feel like I should be up here, but Jesus did it so that there could be a harvest. Without his death, there could be no reproduction. So now is our turn. As believers, we've been saved by grace through faith in Christ. We have to, we have to give death to our agendas. We have to allow our ambitions to die, and I'm not saying walk around doing nothing, but our ambition has to be giving God glory. If in your goals, if within your plans, within your vision boards or whatever you have, there ain't no Jesus in there, I can tell you, you're doing it alone. We have to get to a point that we say, God, if you are not pleased with it, I really don't want to do it. Our prayer has to be, 
God help me to be willing to die to the things of myself. God help me to be willing to die to the things of myself and come to the place where I put my old self to death. Because I'll tell you, life has a way of bringing back our old self. You will be on the right path, but life, I say life starts to get lifeish, and all the things you thought you had crucified, they will just start popping up. Things will start popping up in your timeline. It's like, ooh, I remember that time. You'll start getting emails from things that you're not even subscribed to. People will just randomly start calling you, show up at your job, be in the parking lot. We have to decide. That hasn't happened to me. That just seemed like a good example. Um, <laughs> Y'all was like, she is going through. <laughs> We have to decide that bearing fruit is more important than pleasing our flesh. So let me address something before going any further. Because I know you guys probably think about, think the same way I do. Whenever I hear someone say my old sinful self, I kind of get defensive, especially when I'm in a good spot. I start to say, well, even my old self wasn't really that bad, right? So I mean, my sin is generally overeating, right? So I'm like, I'm stressed, I need a pack of Twizzlers. And my pack of Twizzlers is not like the little thing, it's like the family pack of Twizzlers. And so I'm gonna eat that alone. Yeah, thank you, come on. Don't encourage my sin. Oh. <laughs> That's what I go to though. And so I will be tempted when someone says, don't go back into your sinful nature, and my old sinful nature is eating a family pack of Twizzlers to think, um, well, that's not as bad as going to go, you know, commit adultery. Or that's not as bad as like robbing a bank, right? Or that's not as bad as murdering someone. And God will say, if it's not what I told you to do, if it's outside of my will, if it's disobedient, that is sin. <laughs> if God told you to wake up at four o'clock every morning and pray and study, and then you choose to press the snooze on your alarm clock, that is sin for you, even if your husband is knocked out sleep. Because God didn't tell him to wake up at four in the morning. He told you to wake up at four o'clock in the morning. We have to choose. We have to make the decision. Am I seriously gonna be a disciple? And it's really that simple. Uh, do I really want to abide? Bishop has told us, abiding requires sanctification. We want the perks of abiding, but not the work of it. If I want to abide in Christ, if I want the benefits of verse 7, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. If I want that, am I willing to be sanctified? Am I willing to be cut and pruned and told you can wear this and you can't wear that and you can't eat this? Am I willing to go through that so that I can actually abide? Because some of us really want the perks of Jesus without Jesus. Do I actually want to be sanctified? Or do I just want the, the benefits, the blessings of sanctification? Am I real about this new life in Christ? So let me get practical and I'm almost done. How do we do it? How do I live a spirit-led spirit life? What does daily dedication in a spirit-felt life actually look like? Well, I'm gonna give you guys a couple of steps. The first thing we have to do is to devote ourselves to prayer. We have to be serious about prayer. And I don't mean the whole, Lord, thank you for this day. Please protect me. Don't let me get in a car accident on my way to work. Please bless my kids. Make sure that there's some more money in my bank account. Bless this food. Amen. I mean, get for real about praying. 
At a certain point, that's fine if that's all you got. But at a certain point, we've got to graduate to really talking to God because God is our father. I don't know about some of y'all, but I don't just talk to my dad like, hey, dad, everything's good. That's not a real conversation. Sometimes that might be all I have time for. But if I want to talk to my dad, if I have an issue with my dad, I'm not about to be like, everything's good, bye. I'm going to actually start talking to him. Prayer is a time for us to lay it down. This is the time when we are supposed to lay down our fears, our frustrations, our anxieties, our sins, our agendas, and to receive instruction from God. And to receive instruction from God. Part of our issue is we talk, 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 talk. Thanks, bye. Prayer is supposed to be a two-way conversation. And we have to go back to taking prayer seriously because prayer is approaching the throne of grace of God. That requires reverence. I remember growing up, again, good God Almighty Baptist, and we used to make fun of the deacons, how they pray, right? Because their voices would change. So they were like, good morning, time for prayer. Oh, God of Abraham, right? God have mercy on me, a sinner. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and God of Jacob, right? But while it was funny to hear their voices like that, they did something we don't do, is they actually reverence God, right? They actually approach God understanding, I am talking to something bigger than me. I'm talking to someone who does not have to talk to me. I'm talking to someone who does not have to hear me. So let me be serious about this conversation. I think if most of us had an opportunity to go talk to like the mayor or talk to the president of the United States, um, we would take it seriously, right? We probably would dress a little bit differently. We probably would like think about what we're about to say. Most of us, like me, I would have it written down a little bit because I want to make sure I value his time. I only got five minutes. I make sure everything I want to say to him is written down. But we just kind of come to prayer haphazardly, right? We just think about, oh, well, I prayed about it. What did you say? Lord, you know, fix it. So you talk to your best friend for three hours about the problem, but all you had for God was like, I'm broke, God. Why? Talk about the issues that led to your financial hardship. God wants us to be for real in our thing, and we have to come to him with reverence. I don't know, there's this weird trend of this whole, what's up, God, it's me, Dad, how you doing? If I want God to show himself mighty and strong, I bet you... (laughs) I'm going to make sure I know you're all-powerful. I know you are great. I know you're a miracle worker because I need some miracles done in my life. So I don't want my, you know, homeboy down the street working on my behalf. I need the guy who sits high and looks low. I need you working on my behalf. Um, Prayer is supposed to be a weapon, and many of us sleep on it being a weapon. For some reason, our generation looks at prayer as a weapon being an excuse not to do work, Right? So when we say we're going to pray about it, a lot of us think that means we're not going to do any work. Prayer is supposed to be the tool that we activate as we do the work. Before I put my feet on the ground, I'm praying. So yeah, I got this issue in my life, and I am absolutely going to do something about it. But trust, before I do a thing, I am going to pray so that God can direct my steps so I'm not wasting my time, so I'm not going out of his will, so that I'm not sinning. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, it says, We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive 
to the obedience of God. That's what prayer does. Prayer allows us to put our flesh under arrest. Um, I don't know where I heard that from, but that is the best thing I've ever heard. Prayer allows us to put our flesh under arrest. I am holding captive any thought that is contrary to God. I am holding captive any demonic force that I'm feeling in my household. I'm holding captive all my fears and all my worries and all of my anxieties. And I'm not just doing this in this pie in the sky thing. I'm doing it because I'm praying about it. I'm surrendering it to God with the full knowledge and assurance that he can do something way more than I am able to do. The second thing we have to do is read your Bible. And I'm being as practical as I can, but these are things we're not doing. Read your Bible. We have more access to the word of God now than we have ever had in any of history. At the click of your thumb, you can have about 300 translations of the Bible for free. You don't have to download nothing, you don't have to subscribe to nothing. You can just Google John 15, eight in Japanese. Like, I mean, whatever you wanna find it in. And it's just right there. But this is one of the most biblically illiterate generations there's ever been. Because we take it for granted that the Bible's there and we don't study. We have to get back to meditating on the word of God. So whether that is through a devotional, Bible study, just doing scripture journaling, whatever you do, we have to get back to meditating on the word of God every day. The word has to be something that we are hungry for, that we desire, and that's the only thing that will truly bring us back to repentance to God, is actually getting God's heart through reading his word. Um, Reading the Bible allows us to see the wonders of God. Psalm 1 says, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And he will be like a tree firmly planted by the streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and his leaf does not wither, and and it does whatever he does, he prospers." But we can't just stop at reading. We have to be doers of the word. James 1 and 22 says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only. Because if you do that, you deceive yourselves. Don't deceive yourself that because you can quote a scripture at your problem, you're a doer of the word. If you know a scripture, but you're not living based on it, you are not a doer of the word. And if anything, you are just adding fuel to the fire. That's part of the reason a lot of people don't believe in the church anymore is we keep throwing scriptures at stuff and we ain't doing nothing to bring resolution to it. So it doesn't mean anything for us to go to a homeless person and say, I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor a seed begging for bread. God bless you. And they still hungry, right? So if that's what we're doing, then they're starting to say, oh, well, all they're doing is throwing scriptures at stuff and they ain't fixing nothing. We have to show the power of God by activating scripture. Read the scripture, pray, and let God show you what you are supposed to do. We have to be consistent. James 1 and 4 tells us to let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Another translation says, let steadfastness have its perfect result. The spirit-felt life is countercultural. This is not the norm. It can be very difficult. There are gonna be things that we are asked to do by God that will make us doubt because we can't do this within a vacuum. We do it with all other types of influences being around us. And if we are not consistent about this discipleship, if I'm not in prayer every day, 
If I'm not in my word every day, if I'm not being connected to community every day, I will start to doubt. Back to one of those Ds, daily dedication. The last thing we have to do is repent. Get serious about prayer, read your Bible, be doers of the word, be consistent. But then the last one is repent. Repentance is our turning point. We have to swallow our pride and admit when we've done things that are in his name, but we didn't do it how he told us to. When we didn't do it how or when he told us to, where he told us to, with who he told us to do it with, or we did it with grumbling. We did it at our own pace. We did it in, in, um, in sin. We did it with our own agendas. But today we have an opportunity to repent for not dying to ourselves. We have, we have an opportunity to repent and actually do it God's way. So as I close, you have a decision to make. Flesh or the spirit, good or evil, easy or hard. I put this meme on Facebook about a week ago and it said, marriage is hard, divorce is hard, choose your heart. Obesity is hard, being fit is hard, choose your heart. Being in debt is hard, being financially disciplined is hard, choose your heart. Communication is hard, not communicating is hard, choose your heart. Life will never be easy, it will always be hard, but we choose our heart, pick wisely. Life will never be easy, but we have to decide that holiness is worth it. And Deuteronomy 30, 15 through 16 says, See, I set before you today life and prosperity and death and adversity, and that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, that you may live and multiply, and that the Lord your God may bless you in the land where you are entering to possess. I invite you today to choose the spirit-led life what good does it do for us to open all these nonprofits and, and, and donate to charities and contribute to them and, and record albums and write books and, and build churches and ministries and blogs and, and post photos and posts on Facebook and, 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 and counsel and do all these great things. And then when we take it to Jesus, he says, I don't want it because you didn't die. Choose death today. And I know that is such an un, unattractive invitation. But can I just tell you that since I have chosen to follow Jesus, my life has been changed. And there's a lot of moments that I do say, man, I really wish I could still do that. But I would never go back. And I invite you guys to go. And when you go, don't turn from the plow. Keep pushing and be encouraged that not only do you have the gift of the Holy Spirit and the blessings that God gives you, you have a community of people who are dying right with you, okay? Let me pray for you. God, we thank you for this day. God, I thank you for this word. God, we have a decision to make. God, I pray that you give us the guiding and the pushing of the Holy Spirit to choose death today, that we will have a new life in you, God, that, they, that the word tells us. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. But old things have been cast away. So as we become new, let us find comfort in you, comfort in each other, and comfort in the full knowledge, God, that whatever we ask in your name, when we are in your will, God, you will give it to us. You will not forsake us or neglect us. So I pray if anyone is having any doubts or anxieties, that you will comfort them right now. If there's anyone who is not saved, God, I pray that they will come forth so that we can give them the gift of your salvation and the gift of your Holy Spirit. God, I pray that you will be with each one of us all. It's in Jesus' name we pray and we ask it all. Amen.